This is Blurring the Lines with Adam Bell and Peter Nicolaitis, IT entrepreneurs. Adam and Peter take on the topics of technology, business, life, and the pursuit of happiness and blur them together in the 21st century. Welcome to Blurring the Lines podcast. This episode is a recording of what you can learn from six successful cybersecurity experts. Peter and I joined Tim Richter's webinar to lend our expertise to the discussion. I hope that you enjoy the webinar and learn something that will help protect your business from cybercrime. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining us in today's security roundtable. Quick couple items before we get started here. We will be recording the session for future reference. As well as if you have any questions, please feel free to enter them into the chat box or the question and answer panel in Zoom, and we'll get to them as we get go on throughout. Without further ado, I'm going to pass it on to our first panelist today, who's going to pass it around to each one panel, each other panelist to give introductions. Without further ado, Tim, take it away. Hi, my name is Tim Richter from Arcor Technologies, and I'm located in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Adam? Hello, this is Adam Bell. I'm with Sublime Computer Services, and we're located in Nashville, Tennessee. Kevin. Kevin Landers with Fully Involved Solutions, and we are in God's country, Charleston, South Carolina. Peter. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> uh, Peter. Peter Nicolaitis, I'm an information security consultant, uh, own and operate Paradigm Consulting Company, and I'm also acting as a senior security analyst for Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. And that would lead us on to, what, back to Tim? No, to Brian. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian Lasko with uh, B4 Networks, based out of uh, Niagara Falls, uh, Ontario, Canada, and uh, I'm owner uh, of the company. Uh, Bill? Hello, and I am Bill Wright with WCI Technology Solutions in Columbus, Ohio. That's all? Yep. Excellent. All of it. Back to you, Tim. Okay. Um, well, I, I think we're going to start out with I'd like to give a quick recap of uh, some security issues that uh, were big news in 2016. And then uh, we can uh, kind of go around and talk about some of the things that we can expect in 2017. Um, to me, by far, the biggest security issue that was in the news in 2016 uh, would be the results of ransomware. Uh, it, over the years, has evolved from a couple of youth in a garage holding data hostage to uh, a multi-billion dollar industry that's so prevalent that governments are warning businesses to boost their security and institute multiple layers of protection against it, which is kind of unheard of that the government's actually coming out to to us and saying, hey, protect the businesses that you work with. Uh, worse, I, I think there's no end in sight with that. It's just a matter of protecting against it. Uh, right behind that would be, uh, to me, government-sponsored hacking and spyware. The biggest news would be surrounding the potential Russian support of hackers breaking into the Democratic Party computers. Um, Runners-up in 2016, U.S. Department of Justice being hacked and over 10,000 Department of Homeland Security employees and 20,000 FBI employees and contractors had information like Social Security numbers published on the Internet in October. 
Yahoo, over the years now, they've announced that they've suffered multiple breaches of account information. And finally, in June, the hacker called Peace compromised 167 million LinkedIn users and 71 million Twitter users. Many of the accounts were celebrities like Katy Perry and business owners. Even Mark Zuckerberg, the head of Facebook and Twitter co-founder Biz Stone's accounts were compromised. Um, so 2016 has been really busy for hackers and for security breaches. And uh, I think that it's going to be really nice for us to kind of uh, chat together and uh, hopefully help businesses become more aware of how to protect themselves in 2017. Clayton, do you want to start us off? And Yeah, so here's the first question we have that I want the group to tackle. And let's start with you, Tim, and get your thoughts on this. What do you see as the biggest security threat in 2017? I'm still going to go with ransomware being the biggest security threat. I think two features of ransomware are going to uh, be real prevalent. The first is the very, the very first ransomware that actually takes files away and pulls them in and gives them to the hacker prior to uh, encrypting them and then them going and trying to use the information in it to ransom other people in other ways. Now, this is a big game changer because uh, medical practices and other practices that deal with uh, PCI compliance and any compliance, uh, to have the information taken is a complete breach of the security uh, and it it's going to be it's going to be a big issue because you're going to going to see a lot more uh, security breach notifications and uh, those can actually take down businesses. The other thing that I think is really interesting about ransomware is the new popcorn ransomware, which is uh, you don't have to pay if you help infect a couple of other people. And uh, I, I think that uh, all of us have very, very good intentions. But uh, heck, if I don't have to pay three thousand bucks, you know, as a business owner, uh, how's that going to help? So, to me, ransomware, and those are the two big reasons. Fantastic, Adam. What are your thoughts? So, uh, Tim hit on the uh, the popcorn ransomware, which was uh, what I was going to bring up, and that you know it's it's not going to be IT professionals like us that are going to you know essentially throw that to somebody else, uh, just because mm-hmm. I mean we wouldn't do that. Uh, but there are people who are not professionals who aren't nearly as ethical, and they're they're going to throw those things off on somebody else. And you know if you're that's just going to happen. I mean, and that's awful. And like Tim said, with them capturing the data, uh, I th- Tim, you may have been the one who told me about it, uh, about the, they would send the data or they'd steal all your data and then they would hold the data ransom and you have to pay them each year to not release the data. <laughs> that's good stuff oh, right there. Oh, ransomware as a service. It's yes. A subscription model. <laughs> yes. <laughs> R-A-A-S. <laughs> That's all I had on that. Next, we'll go to Kevin, and then after Kevin, we'll go to Bill. Sure. So, 
on my side, I think one of the things that uh, the other flavors uh, that we're seeing hasn't been as prevalent because some of those that have come out um, have ended up being duds, but Jigsaw was a big one last year that we saw. Uh, name of a ransomware, all these things get their own names. But uh, Jigsaw's uh, method of operation was that for every hour you didn't pay the ransom, they'd start deleting files. Um, and if you rebooted your computer, they claimed that they would you know, delete a thousand files uh, upon a reboot. So it's not only a question of can you get the data unencrypted, it's also, hey, are they going to delete the files? And then, like Adam mentioned, you know, basically, are they going to take them off-site and then hold them really for ransom and not let you have them? But, um, yeah, Jigsaw was kind of an interesting one. I know it ended up having some uh, some issues where it didn't actually carry out on its threat, but um, the idea that suddenly your data starts getting deleted, um, the biggest thing you need to, to know and make sure of with all regards to any of this is that you have backups because even if they start not doing the ransomware thing, but removing the files and then deleting them from the systems. Backups are the only way you're going to get that stuff back if you don't pay the ransom. So. Okay. I, you know, when I, when I saw that, you know, we kind of started talking about this, I, I took a little bit of a different approach to it. I started thinking about how are these attacks going to get into an organization. And I started thinking about the, you know, the new internet of things. So you have all of these new devices that are coming up with IP addresses and there's no way to really protect them themselves from, from the attacks. So, you know, while I think ransomware is kind of here to say because of that finance stay, because of that financial gain that can be, you know, gains from, from holding somebody's data hostage, I think it's gonna be very important to look at how do these threats get into an organization from the beginning. So I, I think 2017 is gonna be two things. It's gonna be a year of creativity. I think we're seeing that the people writing these threats and, and, and making these attacks are getting very creative in how they're going about doing it. And that ties into the internet of things. You know, What device can we find a weakness in to find our way in to then infiltrate? Um, because you know we're moving away from protecting the perimeter of an organization to how do we protect all of these endpoints that everybody's bringing to work, and so I, I think that's the thing that we're going to see change a lot in 2017. And so, in yeah, I throwing out the the term of Internet of Things, and you like you know people's refrigerators are att attached to the internet. Um, uh, drones. I mean, you've got all kinds of devices that are just attaching to the internet to make connections. Your, your Kindle. Your, uh, you've, you've got all these things. So when I talk about that, I'm just talking about something that has um, an IP address. You know, your thermostat, your, your, your watch, your Apple Watch, your, your Fitbit, all the stuff like that. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, so let's move on to the second part, second question, and this is going to be a three-part question. So the first, first we're going to talk about workstations. So what tools do you use on workstations, or what softwares do you use in your fight against hackers and security threats? Let's go with someone who we haven't heard from yet. Let's I can take with, that uh, one. For yeah, go ahead, Peter. So traditional antivirus, um, my colleagues have been saying now for over a decade that antivirus is dead. And I have been 
saying that whenever I hear one of my colleagues start off with a you know proclamation that a technology, usually a security technology, is dead, I want to punch them in the mouth because it makes uh, my clients say, oh, well, we don't need that anymore. And what they really are trying to say when they say antivirus is dead is antivirus alone is dead, uh, meaning that antivirus by itself is not going to keep you safe. Um, and that is true. Most threats that we're facing today walk around antivirus with their eyes closed. It's not challenging at all. And by antivirus, I'm talking about traditional signature-based AV. Um, similarly, uh, we hear, uh, you know, just having a regular old firewall is not enough, and it's not. So um, what we do whenever we set up with a new security engagement, we have a multiple-layer defense and it starts with the user education. We have to teach these people what scams look like, what appropriate uh, behavior is, what's inappropriate behavior. And that's really the biggest challenge that we're facing is people want to come to the office with their iPads. They want to be able to surf personal things and get their own personal Gmail and Yahoo and um, basically bypass corporate controls. So we do our best to enable these and say, hey, you want to bring your own device to the, to the company? That's wonderful. It can only have internet access. It can't actually access corporate systems. If it does, it has to go through a controlled environment to get there, just as if it was outside, like if you were accessing from home. Um, on the desktops, we do have traditional antivirus because dead as it may be, it still catches quite a lot of stuff, but it's not catching the latest cutting edge, bleeding edge threats. For that, we use something what's now known as next generation antivirus. Examples of that would be uh, the Sophos Intercept X product or Silence. And um, we're having really good luck with those. They do take some time to set up, though. So there is an, invest, uh, an initial investment that some uh, clients are not willing to take. These are things you can't just turn on and say, okay, you're secure. Um, they definitely, there's a, there's a learning curve, and uh, it's the software that needs to be learning. So on top of this, um, we always put in standard firewalls. We put in smart next-generation firewalls, which not just uh, they don't just look at where traffic is coming from or going to they also examine the traffic and see if it looks malicious or suspicious and uh, block it or allow it accordingly and then finally we uh, well not finally two more things we do uh, data loss prevention technologies so that if you accidentally or purposefully try to take confidential information out of the site you're not allowed to if this is appropriate to your environment and finally we uh, do uh, employ hard drive encryption on all workstations portable devices so that if i mean when they get lost or stolen the data that's on there is safe adam what do you do <laughs> well i would i want to get kevin to call in here uh but do the same thing. So, I mean, we've got an antivirus client on there. Like, there's not a big difference between all of them. 
there there is there is difference between different tools but we we work on the antivirus with the standard signatures and then we also stick to the web filtering which helps keep the junk out before it ever gets in also with the sonic or the not sonic the sophos like a utm it's going to block a lot of that garbage before getting in we like the web filtering like open dns and that kind of thing to travel with the user so that that's the filtering happens where they're all wherever they are and then so kevin i wanted to get you to talk about carver which is very much like silence that peter talked about which sits kind of sits beside the traditional antivirus you know doing a little more kevin yeah well it does sure um so we do like adam just described we you know, we do everything that we can at the firewall level. On the workstation level, again, just as Peter said, it's all about layers. So uh, we do have web filtering on the workstation uh, level. We do have a primary antivirus product. Um, it's not a next-gen antivirus, but uh, it runs in real time. Uh, we have a malware protection piece of software that runs in mil- real time beside it. Um, periodically through the day, we run a second um, antivirus product just to see if anything slipped through the cracks. Um, what we've been moving towards is we are uh, moving towards um, an offering through Carver um, that provides us with something that's more behavioral. It, uh, Peter could probably go at length and, and big words for us on this one, but um, <laughs> in short, it's basically looking at activity and, um, and it uh, gives us the ability to see, not only detect tra- uh, bad things, but potentially stop them, roll things back, like roll uh, data uh, changes back on encryption. Uh, So if you got ransomware, uh, what would it do? It would detect the ransomware activity, it'd stop it. Um, It would basically log all the activity that started it. You know, how did this process begin? Uh, Where did the infection start from? Um, It would actually, it ties into the workstation in such a way that it can roll the changes back so it'll unencrypt the documents. Um, but then it also gives us forensic information that allows us to tell someone whether or not data actually left their network, which is huge. Um, just about every state, I'd be surprised that there's one that doesn't have a uh, breach notification law. Um, you know, you, you need to be able to know whether or not data left your network or not. Um, whether there's a rule that says you have to report it or not, you as a business owner, as a company um, of any type, you need to know whether or not the data actually left. Um, so you know, they give us that information as well. The nice thing about it uh, with the way that we work with Carver is we also aren't, my team is not left to figure it all out on their own. We actually have, you know, a working relationship with their network uh, security team so that, um, you know, we can tap them in whenever we see an incident or they see an incident that, uh, that we didn't recognize um, and work hand in hand to, to put it back and to give company a business owner some peace of mind of exactly what happened and figure it out um so uh was there anything more specific adam you want me to talk about with that no that was mainly just the difference between the the regular antivirus that that a user could buy and just say don't i have that no you don't have that yeah i think i'm going to interject the uh, a little bit here real quick. I think, you know, we've heard a couple of terms that, you know, uh, Peter was talking about signature-based antivirus. That one, you know, it's been around for forever, and it's kind of easy to understand. It's basically the antivirus looks at the file, it goes out to a database, it compares it, is there a match? Yes, bingo, you know, it blocks it. 
behavioral is, is really the next generation. And I wanted to kind of give a really easy explanation or, or an example of, of what that means. Um, you know, if anyone has kids, this is really going to hit home. But, you know, so you're sitting in the living room and, 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 you know, Billy comes up to you and says, hey, Dad, can I have a cookie? Now, that behavior by itself, that's, that's not a bad behavior. You know, correct? Correct. But now, now Billy. He's overweight and really needs to be. So now you say, Billy, no, you can't have a cookie. And then Billy kind of starts walking off to the kitchen. Does that behavior look like you might want to check into it? Yes. So that's that behavior that, that the new generation systems are starting to look at. You know, what is it that this program's doing? Do we know that this is a good program? Nope. Okay, I'm going to monitor it for a while. And it kind of watches what's happening in the background. And if it sees something it doesn't like, it blocks it, keeps it from going everywhere else, and reverses what it's done. Yep. Another good example would be, um, you know, you uh, say you allow your mailman access to, let's say if you live in a condominium or an apartment complex, it's perfectly acceptable for the mailman to walk in and access all the mailboxes and start putting mail in there. And, you know, that's, that's what he does. That's his job. It's going to be a little weird if he goes to the elevator and goes up because the postal mail guys generally don't deliver packages to your door right now, but a UPS guy doing that, that might be okay. So it's not that we want to say no one shall ever walk through this door, but you know, it's kind of normal if the UPS guy does it, but if the mailman does it, that's a little weird. And Oh, if he's actually trying to get into an apartment now, that's red flag. We're going to block that immediately. The trick is, this is what I was talking about is the the training portion, your antivirus, your, your next gen antivirus needs to know, okay, this is the mailman. This is the UPS guy, (laughs) him doing this. That's okay. Him trying to do this. That's a little weird. Him trying to do this. That's totally off the charts. Not allowed. So, and that process takes time. Yeah. And then it has to know how to tackle it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if he's not that big, you just tackle him. Great. I'm going to interject here. Uh, and one of the things that I think some of my panelists here um, also missed, I mean, I agree with everything they've said, layered security, firewall, antivirus, comp filter, content filtering, and, and all the rest. Uh, one of the biggest things that we can do to protect ourselves is to make sure that we're staying on top of things like security updates, but not just at the operating system level, but also uh, things like applications and firmware on devices uh, across the board, not just with you know our PCs, but any uh, any technology that we're using uh, that isn't necessarily a PC. So, for example, alarm systems that are based on uh, a network or on a network, um, or uh, maybe an HVAC system that's on a network. Any device that connects to the network should be looked at and ensure uh, that it is kept up to date uh, with security updates from the vendors. Yes, which is awesome Definitely. when vendors release things and don't release patches for them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Android. Excellent. Any uh, final thoughts on this question, or do we want to move on to the next one? I think we'd get too caught up if we actually kept on talking about this one, because we probably could all day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So the next one we're going to lead off with, and the next question we have is, 
how will state-sponsored hacking play a part in 2017? Does anybody want to start that one? <laughs> Nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> sure, let's go for it. Um, I think the reason that that thing is so prevalent right now is it was it's about what everybody sees. It's about what's in the news and, and what's top of mind. And so obviously the election thing, I mean, we already alluded to it earlier. I think you even mentioned it um, about state sponsored hacking into the DNC. Um, you know, it's in the limelight right now and it's a big deal because of a big activity going on in our country, in the U S for those of us in the U S sorry, Brian. Um, but, uh, Anyway, um, but the thing is, it's been going on for forever. I mean, you know, Stuxnet is uh, supposedly, most people think, Israeli and American uh, malware that was developed that, um, you know, was deployed in Iran to um, stop uh, or to cripple their um, nuclear arms um, platform, basically where they were basically developing their nuke uh, equipment. Um, but, I mean, that goes all the way back to, you know, 2010. So, I mean, you know, that's seven years old now. So this, I mean, it's, it's been going on. It's going to continue to go on. And, yes, as technology advances, I think we're going to see more and more of it. Will we see more of it this year than we saw last? Probably not in the news and not in the media because we don't have another election cycle. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would say we probably had as much going on. Well, I don't know. I, that's probably a dumb assumption to make that we had as much going on last year as we did the year before, but um, there's probably going to be a lot of it going on that nobody's ever going to know about um, unless you're you know, the ones doing it. But um, yeah, just because it happened in the DNC doesn't mean it was the first and only time it happened. It's been going on for quite a while. That's my take. Fantastic. Anybody else want to weigh on this? If not, we can move to another topic. Wow, I got that one right for everybody. I just don't know that we're any of us are willing to dip our toes into that one, yeah. Kevin. I don't want to be on record there's for that one. Of, <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of a uh, lot of extra to hey, add to this. I just quoted Wixit pretty well. <laughs> yeah, no, That's quite all right. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So the next one we'll go to is so this will relate to a previous question: Are all brands the same? What makes them better or worse than competitors? So feel free to spotlight your favorites, some that you're not so keen on that you work with here. Um, let's start with Tim. Tim, we haven't heard from you in a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for handing me this one. It's almost as bad <laughs> as handing me the state-sponsored one. Um, <laughs> okay. So the I, I think that a lot of the brands are the same. Uh, you know, now, now I'm not talking consumer versus commercial. Um, let's, let's take, uh, you know, let's, let's take firewalls an example as an example. And Peter, please close your ears on this one. Um, (laughs) if I say Sophos, if I say Sonic wall, if I say Meraki, you know, Cisco, I'm, I'm pretty much, they they all are very very similar they offer a lot of the similar offerings a one one month or one one series sophos might be better another series that comes out sonic wall may jump a little bit ahead of them um the key here is to choose a 
good commercially viable brand and to have multiple layers. Like an example, what we use right now is we, we're a sonic wall shop. And we use SonicWall as our commercial-based firewall. Uh, We use WebRoot as our antivirus. But uh, we back that up with with Malwarebytes Professional for uh, both the Malwarebytes product and the anti-exploit. Because, again, we're we're talking, you know, we've got signature-based antivirus. We've got heuristic-based scanning. We've got, uh, you know, a UTM firewall wall that is that again it's regularly updated where with their um, firmware and a reputable company Dell is releasing regular updates for it I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to say that it matters a little bit less on brand than it does on multiple layers with multiple brands That's I'll it. add I would add to that, though, it also depends on the person implementing it. Because That's true. you can buy a Sonic wall, you can buy a Sophos, you can buy a Cisco, roll it out of the box, turn it on, and you're wide open. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it takes someone with knowledge on how to, even WebRoot, even any of this antivirus you can buy off the Internet for $50 for a year. You know, it takes someone to know how to, to configure that stuff for it to make it work. Sorry, I didn't mean to... No, no, I, 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 Kevin, I agree 100% with what you're saying. Uh, you know, I, I didn't take that factor into it. What I was trying to say is I was trying to say one brand from the other is less important as, uh, as multiple layers. And like you said, a implemented by a, uh, very, if, if uh, I guess trusted, but, uh, a knowledgeable, uh, you know, uh, MSP. Yeah, I think one of the most important things for to to look at again to reiterate what Tim was saying is less about brand, but also more about making sure that the product you're using is a commercial product, not intended for a residential use. You know, the free antiviruses that you have on your home computer, they're fine and dandy, uh, but those are more their test beds for the commercial business or the commercial side of their business. Uh, not only is it not allowed to install. Uh, most free products on your corporate network, but it's also not as secure. Uh, so keeping it on the commercial side and, and you get what you pay for at the end of the day. Fantastic. Anybody else? Or we can move on to the next topic. <laughs> All right. So we'll move on to the next one then. Next question. Do you see an increase in phishing or more specifically spear phishing, spear phishing sorry, happening in 2017? I work way too much to go fishing. I do. <laughs> I'm definitely seeing more phishing attacks, and uh, they're just uh, – I think this is somewhat in a um, – somewhat in response to the the technical controls getting stronger. So phishing relies, um, you know, mostly on the weakest link, which is the person between the chair and the computer there. So, yeah, we are seeing more phishing already this year than we had uh, at this time last year. It's definitely going to be more, and uh, that just uh, moves the shift to user awareness and education. Mm -hmm. I mean, I agree. I mean, because really what 
it's always going to come down to that human factor of, of the training of what's going on. Do they understand? Does this, does this great email that tells me that I'm going to win a million dollars, click this link. Does that really make sense to go ahead and click that link? Um, and as long as the people are involved with being able to decide what they're allowed to click on and what they're not allowed to click on, I, it's, the phishing attacks are going to continue. It's the easiest way to get in. I mean, after all, what you're after is a valid login password combination instead of sitting around trying to hack into it. It'd be much easier to have somebody tell you what the password is. Well, and, and beyond that, uh, what you have to look at is it's a numbers game for these people. I mean, you send out 200 emails and you get 1%, you know, uh, you, you, you know, uh, it, it's just, a, it, it's a numbers game. And they're going to keep doing it until uh, they, they're no longer uh, able to get the information. It's marketing. It's all yeah. marketing. <laughs> One of the things that I've seen more of an increase in is specifically the fear, spear phishing. Uh, so not only are not, they used to send blanket you know, messages to 200 people, now they're researching companies specifically and emailing the individual who is responsible for accounting at a business, uh, for example, with the person's name. And they've done their homework and they now include the signature of the president. Uh, so they're really going after specific targeted individuals to try to fool them into thinking that this is a legitimate email coming from their president asking for a wire transfer or asking them to install something on their computer. Uh, and I think that's a little bit more dangerous than just the blanket ones, the emails that have been going out, the spear, the spear, the dead, you know, the very specific uh, individual being targeted. Um, it looks legitimate and it looks real. Uh, and that's something to make sure that we train our users on. Absolutely. We saw about three or four people get those ACH, hey, I'm the CEO or I'm the executive director of, you know, of a nonprofit, um, mm -hmm. directly to their CFO, their accounting personnel, their bookkeeper. Um, and in one instance, uh, we had someone actually transfer money. Um, they called it in time to be able to cancel the transfer, but they actually did transfer um, quite a bit of um, cash. And... Um, yeah, and so that's why we've got to, as you mentioned earlier, Peter, we've got to be doing education. There are products out today that um, that we leverage, in fact, um, that actually send sample phishing and spear phishing emails to our clients. Mm -hmm. And uh, if they engage in those, uh, you know, those fake emails that are coming from the system we use, uh, we get notifications so we know who needs the training and what would have slipped uh, through the cracks. And I think that's the things that you're going to have to see from uh, – you know, from a company standpoint, from a technology company or IT department standpoint, it's going to be more training and then testing and verifying um, whether or not people actually are trained and, and catch it. But let's face it, we all have bad days. There are going to be the days when the light bulb doesn't go off and you send the transfer. Um, but, uh, you know, that should be, that should not be the norm. And it's going to take education to make that the, the fact. Well, and I, I still don't think that, I mean, we talk about this every day, I mean, and I still don't mm -hmm. think that it's being talked about enough. Uh, just the general public, they, they're still so unaware, and just they just keep falling into the trap because they've never heard of it before. And they don't believe us when we say we need to give them education. I try to give my education away free to my customers and even non-customers. If you're not a customer of mine, you want to take my tests for you know recognizing spear phishing. I want you to take that. I want you to learn it. 
but can't give it away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like on our side, we enroll all of our clients on it. We just started rolling it out uh, last November. So every client, every person at a client, they get put on an email series. Um, you know, and fortunately, we've not had people unsubscribe yet. But I mean, we, we basically send off weekly little short tips on, you know, what's a good password? What's spear phishing? Um, you know, what do I do with this email? Um, but those are clients, so we're allowed to email them. You know, it's not talked about enough. Not a side um, job. Side <laughs> no, it's not a side job. Um, not like not like Kevin, that. Kevin, Kevin, as a Kevin, Kevin Kevin Landers nonprofit on uh, security. There you go. Maybe we should charge a tuition for this training. Maybe that'll help. Absolutely. There you go. That's right. If you pay for it, then there you go. Exactly. We, we see that a lot too. Um, and uh, we were we were having a discussion internally uh, about uh, how we want to promote security awareness at the hospital. And one of the things that um, we I recommended against saying all of the great things like look at all these bad email scams that we've stopped. Look at all these viruses that we caught. Look at all these dropped packets coming from China because my fear is it's going to give our users a false sense of security. And they're going to say, look, we've got IT security. You guys have everything taken care of. I can do anything I want. And I got to tell you, unless you have a really, really, really locked down system, you can't just go do anything you want. You know, so I mean, without without danger. Obviously, if your system yeah. is really, really locked down, you're, there's a lot you're not going to be able to do. But um, we find that that's generally not the case, and most systems are really wide open. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter, you you nailed it. I, what most companies run off of. I've I've had clients that they said, well, we know you, that your antivirus is on here, so I just go wherever yeah. I want because I figure you're going to block it if it's bad. And by the way, could you turn off the pop-ups? It's really annoying when I'm browsing this site and it's telling me that there are viruses on the site. And this is a doctor, so this is an intelligent man. And I'm like, no, that means don't go there. <laughs> and and I have had that same uh, one of my uh, one of my clients is an accountant. I have told him repeatedly, antivirus is not enough. I didn't say antivirus is dead. I've told them you need a firewall, you need a web content filter, you need this, this, this. And uh, he got a new computer and he said, yeah, I want to make sure that one of your techs can install the uh, antivirus on there soon before I start surfing the web because I don't feel safe unless I do that. Like, yeah, that's great. But did you hear anything I said? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, the answer is no. So So I think that's a great segue into our next question here. So here, I'll read a little stat for us, and then we can discuss discuss it. So according to a study by Verizon in 2016, 63% of all security breaches involved a weak or stolen password as a method of computer or network breach. What do you suggest as a precaution to preventing weak passwords? Uh, yeah, you can. There's two. There's two things that you can uh, do to prevent a network from having weak passwords. Uh, well, there's many more things, but two two primary things. Uh, one is to ensure that the network is configured in a way that it forces them to have a complicated password. Uh, but more importantly, is to make sure that they're not 
uh, using the same password all over the web and all over other um, uh, you know websites because any network admin from any websites could typically see your password in plain text and most of the time you're using your email address and your password to log in and if you're using um, your email the same password as you did on their website for your email they now have access to your email and everything in it uh, and the second thing you can do is to have uh, some sort of two-factor authentication. So something that you have, either like a key or a, um, you know, a, a one-time password uh, in conjunction with your, your other passwords. So that would be my suggestion. My number one suggestion is if you're sitting in front of your computer and on your monitor is a post-it note that says password on it, <laughs> get rid of it. Oh, I can't man, tell you Bill. how many offices I go into <laughs> and I'm like, well, what's, what, you know, I, I'm going to need your current password. I'm like, oh, okay, it's right there. And it's, you know, it's posted, right? You know, password is, you know, when they've crossed off all the ones that they've used. <laughs> That's my number also, one solution is train people yeah. to not put it on a post-it note. Yeah. Also, don't, don't stick it to the underside of your keyboard. We know that trick. Is well. <laughs> Hackers know to look there. Um, I would say the, the biggest thing that I did for my personal security, um, and we've implemented this in our business, um, is to use a password manager that's highly encrypted, highly secure, but it allows me to keep a, a strong, and my password is very strong password. Things like, I think it is actually literally very strong password. Just kidding. But um, <laughs> it is a long, complicated whatever. And, I used um, to know that when one, I <laughs> But that one password lets me into the vault in order to access passwords for all these other sites. It'll randomly create passwords for me. I literally, unless it's my master password, I do not know the password to log into any of the other stuff I use right now. So, um, Same here. You know, so that would be one, mm -hmm. one recommendation. So everything is unique. And a good one will run reports for you and tell you, you know, if you've got passwords that are duplicated. I'd like to say my wife has that same policy, but um, <laughs> I described her earlier. <laughs> So if you are already and, and absolutely, you know, using strong passwords and using password managers are great. Using two-factor authentication is awesome. And just so you know, if your bank has you go to a website and says, what's your username and what's your password? And also, what's this favorite picture of yours? Or also, what is your PIN? You know, like a, a personal identification number. That is not two-factor authentication. That is something you know and something else you know. It's two things authentication, but it's not two factors. <laughs> so if you have something like a uh, Google Authenticator uh, app or an RSA token, that is a second factor, or something like a thumbprint or a retina scanner, those are second factors. But password managers now, um, they're great, uh, they're certainly an improvement over not using them, but they're not enough anymore because no. we are seeing uh, more and more that credentials are left cached in memory on operating systems, on running machines. So Tim goes to log on to his desktop. He punches in his username and password and then say he locks the computer and walks away. 
attacker then triggers the virus or walks up to the machine, gets physical access to the machine, and can lift his credentials out of memory. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we've been working on recently is a solution uh, from for uh, well, we're using CyberArk in uh, in in one case, and uh, it changes the passwords is essentially it's a password vault so it's just it's all the same stuff that a password manager does but as soon as you use it it can be configured to change the password on the client system and there are for higher installation higher security installations and you know guys if you're targeting mostly small businesses it's probably going to be a long time before they can hire uh, before they can afford this uh, you can actually set up proxies in between your user and the system that they're trying to connect to. So you want access to that server, that's great. You can talk to this server here, which will then broker a connection to that server over there. Um, doesn't really make sense for small businesses yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see somebody virtualizing something like that. I'd say before 2020, that can be affordable. But essentially, something um, that uh, takes the next step and not only manages your password, or not only stores your passwords for you, but manages them and dynamically changes them is uh, that's the next step that we're taking to uh, combat password cracking yep. and uh, lifting. Well, we're even uh, we're using that in our company now, um, and uh, believe it or not, the, the size of the company we are and the way that they've done their licensing, it doesn't cost us anything to use it. Um, and it's on-premise, it's, um, meaning it's in our data center, it's not hosted by somebody else. And it'll let you do those things. I mean, not only just rotating your workstation passwords or third-party passwords, but your firewall passwords, um, you know, network switch passwords, those sort of things. But um, So, yeah, the only caveat to that is right now, as you described, it is expensive in some scenarios, and, and probably in all scenarios, it's complicated to set up. Uh, at least it is with what we're using. You you really need to know what you're doing in order to set it up and not lock yourself out of things. <laughs> Might be a bad thing if you did, but uh, anyway. Fantastic. So we're just coming toward the end now, everybody. But what I'd love to have is we'll go around the horn and get your final 30 seconds on thoughts on everything we've discussed today and what people should be looking at as their next step. So I'm going to pass it over to Tim first. Tim, take it away. And then when you're done, pass it back to me. Okay. Um, I, I guess the takeaway that I want everyone to be looking at as, as they close off from this, from my perspective, is that security and the need for it is not going to go away. It's just going to become larger. And you need, in my mind, two things. One, some type of expert who's a trusted advisor who can be there by your side saying, hey, you know, you're you're a doctor, you're an attorney, you're a CPA, you, you have your skill set, you know, and, a, you know, we have our skill set of the technology standpoint. And I'm not trying to sell anything here or anything like that. I'm just saying whoever it is, get a trusted advisor and uh, have that trusted advisor help set things up, keep it up to date, and very importantly, employee education. And that trusted advisor should be assisting in that employee education. That's what I want you to take away. Excellent. Let's hear next from Kevin. Uh, Two things come to mind. Um, One is uh, talking about passwords again real quick. Um, 
everybody hates passwords. People, I've never heard anyone, you know, sound thrilled about the idea that they have to change their password at their corporate headquarters every two months or every month or whatever. Um, no one ever likes them. I'm in tech, and I don't like them. Um, you know, and so if anyone should love them, it should be me. Um, but I think the thing, the takeaway on the password thing is you really need to embrace passwords and embrace the fact that they're there to keep you safe and to keep you secure um, as an end user, also as a company. Um, they're there for safety. That's why we have them. Um, so I think one thing I would do would, would be to encourage you to, to embrace them um, and look at them in that light. Um, the second thing, we haven't really gotten into it, but um, Bill and I were talking before we got on the call. Um, one other thing would be uh, everything is going toward the cloud these days. Everybody's using Google for this, Microsoft for that, Amazon for something else. Um, do your due diligence and look into these things. Everything that we talked about today, I would encourage you to do due diligence and look into. Um, but especially doing stuff in the cloud where you or your tech, technical company, that's, you know, your IT company that's supporting you, may not have any control over. Just because they've got a big name, a big brand, as we talked about earlier, don't just assume that they have their stuff in order and um, have you, uh, you know, first and foremost in their thoughts and, and are taking care of you. They have budgets, they have bottom lines they have to take care of, and some of these things don't come with backups. Some of these things don't take care of your data. Um, it's still on you to do that. So do your due diligence in picking anything. If it's your trusted advisor, which should not be your um, uncle's cousin's nephew's sister who's in middle school um, and uh, you know and picking the brands that they're going to support you with you know you need to do your put the effort in and figure out whether it really is for you fantastic next we'll throw it to adam okay i'm going to agree with tim and i would say that you need to surround yourself with experts you need to have an expert uh, IT company that's working with you and I think it's fair to ask them questions uh, and and I don't mean like well how are you backing up the server or how are you doing but ask them you know ask them the questions of okay why do you know what are you doing what should I be concerned about what would you recommend you know listen to the recommendations of your expert and not just throw them away without asking the why 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 do I care why okay and then education education is the most important thing for the for the end users and uh, and then your disaster recovery and continuity continuity plan you've got to have that in place because everything that we described they are smart people out there writing these these attacks and these viruses and your your last ditch when it you know they've gone through everything that you put in place or you have users that or clients that don't want to take your advice you got to have the solid backup you got to have a way to recover their servers whether it's a cloud server or whether it's a physical server and and not just you know if the office goes down you need to know who your ISP is you know what's my account numbers things like that that are all IT related to get your business back up and running so that's all I have <laughs> fantastic next we'll go to Bill um, yeah I think everyone's hitting on a lot of the same topics here you know definitely it's the education making sure that your employees are educated on what to expect, what not to expect, what are the behaviors that are normal. Um, and again, it's about that layer. You know, do you have a backup system that you can recover quickly from? 
Do you have a firewall that's effectively looking at these things, doing an intrusion protection and making sure that things aren't getting in that aren't supposed to? So it's all of that stuff put together and making sure that you have the professional that knows how it works and designs it for your business. You know, the financial industry is different than the medical industry. So hire a professional that understands your industry that you're in. And with the education piece too, realize that the attacks here are really after financial gain. So when you receive an unsolicited email of, hey, Chase Bank needs to have you log in here, it's probably not Chase Bank. Um, another thing to remember too, this stuff is always changing. They're creative in how they come up with this stuff. So don't, don't get, you know, content that everything's okay. And, uh, it's, you know, we've got it covered today because tomorrow it's going to be a different attack that you have to worry about, which ties into my final comment, which is realize that this is not a set it once and forget it. Somebody needs to be monitoring it and making sure that it's updated and making sure that new technology is introduced to protect, to protect you from the new threats. Excellent. So next we're going to go to Brian and just keep in mind, Brian, we do have only about a minute left, so we need to split that between you and Peter. So take it away. <laughs> All right. Uh, the most important thing uh, that I'd like people to take away is to take cybersecurity seriously and do something about it in 2017. Uh, most entrepreneurs take their business seriously and the criminals, they take their business seriously and don't be fooled. This, these type of crimes are a business and they make a lot of money in it. Uh, so just one final point, and that's uh, on the end of your user education, we talked a lot about teaching people uh, and making sure they're educated on the cyber uh, front, but it's also important to teach them about making sure that anybody physically entering their premises is supposed to be there and not uh, just trying to get in. We've had situations where our, our technicians came in and just started working on somebody's stuff and nobody even questioned them, uh, and it was a new employee. So uh, just watch out for that kind of thing. Thank you. Excellent. Peter, final 30 seconds. I can't sum it up better. You guys hit all the points I wanted to make. So, <laughs> and that says Peter, something from Peter. You're yeah. my marketing yeah. department now, guys. You're my marketing department. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, no, 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 that, that it says here. something. It says something all right. It says that it took one, two, three, four, five of you to my job. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is the Peter we know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. We really appreciate everybody who sat through it all today. And thank you so much to all our presenters. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you all. Big red button. To contact either us or our guests, visit BlurringTheLinesPodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and subscribe to our podcast. And leave us a five-star review in iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you found us.